We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Another episode of the Rotowire NBA show. It is Wednesday, November 11th. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Alex Barutha. You can go to rotowire.com slash pod to get 10 days of free access to our website, rotowire.com. We have tons of NBA draft content up on the site right now. Alex and I uh, hard at work preparing now for the 2020-2021 NBA season, which we found out uh, officially late Monday night. Uh, will, in fact, begin on December 22nd. Uh, Alex, before we get to all the NBA season talk, uh, well, one, we are currently under a tornado watch. Uh, the entire southern portion of Wisconsin, as we record, um, is currently under tornado watch. It is thunderstorming pretty severely out the window, which is about three feet away from where I'm recording. Um, so keep that in mind if there's any crashes of thunder or shattered windows or anything like that. Uh, that's what's going on. But we got 55 minutes ahead of us, so hopefully we can get this in. Yeah, I mean, it would, it, it really would, would we edit that out if it came down to it? It's like, yeah. oh, well, you know, sorry about the weird cut in and out. I actually got hit by lightning. No, no, I wouldn't edit it out. I, I think this would actually be good for the podcast. I, I think, it, you know, all press is good press. And if we're the podcast that recorded through the middle of a tornado, 
you know, like I used to always watch like uh, I don't even remember what the show was called, but the Jim Cantori show, uh, Storm Stories on the Weather Channel, and they were always hunting for like the perfect footage from somebody inside of a tornado. Yeah. We we don't have the video going for this episode. We we will have another video pod on the NBA draft later this week, but we could be the podcast that has audio from the middle of a tornado, which I, I feel like is just slightly less valuable. That's true. Yeah. I mean, just the dedication to talking about like Bismack Biombo through a, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> just shouting about Bismack Biombo. And I mean, a lot of people always say too, it's like, well, it's, it's just a whirlwind NBA off season. It would literally be a whirlwind off season if that happened. So I don't know if we get a tornado, we get one. If we don't, we don't. Uh, before we get to uh, all the, the 2020, 21 season talk i want to touch on a few of the city uniforms and you know we've if you're a longtime listener of this pod you know that i'm in like the top 0.1 percent of people who care about nba jerseys um it's been a, a tough last couple of years because initially i was really excited that we're getting two to three new jerseys per team per year uh because you know under the previous adidas regime and prior to that, the Reebok regime, um, teams were not really doing a whole lot in that respect. And jerseys were, were in a bit of a lull uh, in the middle of the last decade. I fear that it may have gone the other way now, where there are now too many jerseys to keep track of. And it's gotten to the point where I feel like it's almost hurting team branding. Yeah, it's very clear that this is like, let's pump out as many different ones as we can every single year and just hope mm -hmm. that it's like quantity over quality. Yes. where eventually they'll land on one that people like and that will like trigger you to buy it um and even if that's once every like let's say three years that's more than you probably would have bought a jersey anyway um at least the average person so i agree with you i mean i'm I'm also a fan of like the more alternates the better um but i still think like they're i feel like they overuse them also like, it feels like the yes. teams only wear their standard home and away uniforms, which are not even called that anymore, on, like, less than half of their games now. That is very true. It's gotten to the point where I think if you had just tuned into the NBA for the first time this past year, it would be completely indiscernible which jersey is the actual default. You have no idea. No idea. I, and, like, I can't it, even picture before the finals or before the playoffs, like, the Heat, I feel like, wore the Vice jerseys every single night. Yeah, the only time you'd be able to tell is when the teams wear jerseys that are not the color of the court even remotely. When like yes. when the Magic are like, we're gonna do orange, um, mm, yeah. and you know every team has a black jersey now, which is fine. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm a like I, I kind of I think both of us grew up in the era where like alternates were saved for either like spe like special occasions, like if you mm -hmm. were the Bucks and you got on national <laughs> TV, you'd break out those red Milwaukee jerseys, yep. um, or like on the weekends. You know, if you played like a Saturday game, you'd bust them out. But now it's just like whenever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking back to those Washington Wizards gold alternates. I don't know if you remember those. Ooh, yeah. um, they were comprised of that. Much maligned. Much maligned. Uh, a lightning rod of jerseys comprised of that same material as a lot of jerseys around that time. And a lot of clothing, unfortunately, a workout clothing around that time uh, that like, you know, half inch thick shimmery extremely heavy uh like waterlogged material um and, and the nba has kind of gone the opposite way uh mercifully uh, over these last few years and, and it's much lighter but um the sacrifice i guess the trade-off is you, we no longer have any jerseys that reflect 100 percent of sunlight no um <laughs> i mean if you're playing outdoor court you know the sun yeah. hits right you blind the defender 
drive right past them for the easy layup. Mm. That's just not the case anymore. Um, yeah, it simply is Nike has gotten too their their technicians are working way too hard. So I want to hit a couple of these individual jerseys. Just get your quick thoughts. Let's start with the uh, Golden State Warriors Oakland jerseys, which are essentially a carbon copy of the We Believe Warriors jerseys. But instead of saying Warriors, they say Oakland as a touching tribute to the town that they just left a year and a half ago. <laughs> See, that's the problem with it is they they're just like, thanks for the memories uh, and just kind of throw them in there. I like because I like I like the original like We Believe Warriors jerseys. I like these. Um, and maybe that's just nostalgia, but I, I, I feel like they look really good. I really like the dark blue. Um, I think it was right to go back to these, even if they did it kind of weirdly with putting Oakland on there. Yeah, this feels like kind of a, all right, we're good, right? No more hard feelings type of move. <laughs> right. uh, I, I think this would have been really cool if they did it even five or 10 years from now, not 1.5 years. But nonetheless, uh, it's a good look for Golden State. I, I like the actual jersey itself. Uh, we got the Sacktown Sacramento Kings jerseys, which were released, uh, I think, officially on Monday. Uh, more jarring for me than the jersey itself, which again reads Sacktown across the chest, is they used De'Aaron Fox as the featured player to model it. It doesn't look like De'Aaron Fox at all without the hair. And I know he cut it. Uh, we've seen him play basketball with the short hair. I, I think it's going to take me probably three to four years to fully adjust to De'Aaron Fox, you know, without the kind of dreadlock fro that he was rocking. I think so, too. It's it's kind of like a, a lesser extent of what happened with Alfred Payton, right, when he yes. cut his hair. Oh, my goodness, yeah. That was really jarring. Uh, Iman Shumpert cut his hair. Yeah. Um, you Kobe know. White fake cut his hair this summer. I don't know if you saw that. It was, yep. yeah, I think he used, like, an app that allows you to look like you're bald. That was a that was a very tough two hours for me before I figured out it was a prank. I mean, AD did that with his unibrow, remember? That was, like, 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 yeah. like an ad for Gillette or something. I don't remember yeah, which. Yeah, I think, yeah, he partnered with, like, Gillette or Barbasol or something. That was, I yeah. think that was an April Fool's one. So at least there was a little a little bit more of a, of a trail with that one. But, yeah, that was scary stuff. Um, I think the only thing that could maybe top those is if Kyle Korver just buzzed his head. Just, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I well, I think, so, historically... The other one that really stands out is when Melo ditched the cornrows. And I think if Kawhi yeah. ever did that, it would be a similar thing. Right. I can't picture yeah. Kawhi without cornrows. I, I don't I feel like he was born with cornrows. <laughs> I I'm in the same boat. Uh so the the whole uh, news, I guess, news item that prompted the Jersey discussion is the lightning rod that is the Philadelphia 76ers new uniforms. And they, they've been pretty controversial. I think in general, most of the reaction that I've seen has been negative. I don't think they're that bad. I think they're creative. They're they're unique. They kind of have a similar look to those Nuggets throwbacks where you have like a an outline of a of a skyline. And yeah, this one looks to be more of like a village than than like a skyscraper type of skyline. The numbers on the top, that's a little iffy for me. I don't always love that. Um, you have the, the, the city name Philadelphia on the bottom of the front. And then you also have the player names on the bottom of the Jersey. Um, overall though, I, I don't think these are that bad. I, I feel like part of the reason that they were maligned to the degree that they were is the Sixers made a big deal out of the fact that Ben Simmons was the one who helped design them. And apparently since he was drafted in 2016 has been like vehemently pushing the franchise to bring back some form of black uniforms. <laughs> um, I don't know why these are so like controversial. They're just like, they're fine. You know, I think they're that's fine. the problem is when something is like so average, people feel like they have to have some strong opinion on it. Yeah. Um, I just think like, they're good. They're black Jersey. They do a cool skyline thing. This 
it's again it's black um with like the trim it's pretty generic for like a modern alternate jersey like any team in the league could have done this Mm -hmm. basically um i still think it's good it's a good jersey in general thoughts on the bucks blue uniform i didn't see it you haven't seen it oh i have not seen it we're gonna have to do a live reveal i guess um yeah i've been waiting for them I will, I will say, while you're finding this for me, and I, I appreciate it, or I can find it. Um, I'm on the case. Okay. I have been waiting for them to do a blue jersey because it's it, they did the black and they did the cream. And it's like, when are you going to... We've had this blue in the color scheme for so long. Yep. When is it finally going to happen? And they just... Yeah, they just did the... <laughs> it looks like the same jersey that when the Bucks had that red Milwaukee alternate, right? Except they just did it blue this time. Um, more or less which is what i think which is what i originally thought they might do i think it's good in general i it's a small picture but i think they had to do it at some point and i'm interested to see how it look on the court but um i think they they were going to do it eventually yeah i think it's a clean look and i think it's worth noting that the bucks haven't actually confirmed this one but it's been so widely speculated that it's it's just been right. thrown into the mix um it's clean <laughs> at least it's just, you know, uh, that that Bucks specific shade of blue, I guess, which is featured like on like one percent of yes. of their home uniforms uh, on that side panel. Uh, but I, I think it looks good. I, I think it's probably a step up from the Cream City jerseys, which were controversial for for reasons that we probably shouldn't get into on this podcast. <laughs> My two favorites so far, and and we'll move on from this shortly. And and for those who are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't seen any of these. We will post links um, in the article on the site. So just go to roadwire.com and, and find the podcast there. Uh, and there will be a gallery at your disposal. The Phoenix Suns and the San Antonio Spurs, I think, are one and two in that order atop my rankings. And the Suns went with kind of a gradient look, uh, not quite to the degree that we saw with the Jazz, where like the entire jersey is is gradient. This one just has you know, kind of some gradient colors across the chest. It says the Valley, which it apparently is a nickname for Phoenix. Um, and then the Spurs went with almost a Trailblazers-like design. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not sold on the script that they used to to read San Antonio, but you have the teal, pink, orange, uh, kind of three stripes going diagonally, much, like I said, much like the Blazers. It's a very clean look for a franchise that I feel like every single one of their other alternates dating back the last 20 years, they've just automatically just defaulted to camo. Yeah, both of these teams have had some uh, egregious alternate jerseys over the past yes. five to ten years, That's terrific. especially recently. And um, I think these are good. This is a, these feel like good like transition into something <laughs> better. Um, not being an army team, yeah. Yeah, I w- I kind of wish the Spurs one was a little more inspired. Like it's basically just a black jersey that says San Antonio on it, and they just threw the stripes. Mm-hmm. on the front just kind of like we know you've been asking for it here it is like you're welcome yeah um i wish they would have tried a little harder but i think it's it'll it'll look good especially if they do uh like an alternate court to kind of match yes. it i think that'll be nice they have to they absolutely have to yeah something down the side would be nice maybe some sort of like southwestern pattern which right. you know somebody somebody who does art could probably come up with the new orleans pelicans i think are probably at the bottom of the rankings right now these are an absolute atrocity. They're not going to look very good on Zion. That's my biggest concern. <laughs> They're horizontally striped, just kind of three big block colors. It's not good. It's really not good. Uh, yeah, it's way too much white. Um, yeah, the striping is weird. There's no real logo. There's like three logo- logos in the middle. Um, 
it's it's really bad. It's it yeah. might be it might be my least favorite so far, aside from the Knicks one. Um, which that says just... the city that never sleeps in it's it's written around the number in the front and then the sides have a gradient from blue to orange. Awful. And kind of like Chris Herring said on Twitter, it's it looks like something very much bootleg that you would just find like somebody selling on the street for like forty five bucks. Yeah, that it would be a number twenty three LeBron jersey. <laughs> yeah, I I have no words about those. They would have they honestly would have been better off just writing it in Times New Roman font, just like <laughs> left left aligned down the middle of the jersey. That would have looked better than than what this turned out to be. All right, that's enough jersey talk. Let's get into the real news, which again broke uh, pretty late on Monday night. I think it was like almost eleven thirty uh, p.m. Central uh, after midnight on the East Coast when we got confirmation. From all the major sources that, as expected, the players' union and the owners agreed to not a new CBA, but an amended CBA uh, that uh, will feature a December 22nd start. So the NBA gets its wish from a TV perspective. Uh, the big opening night we would expect on December 22nd, you know, probably some big games on the 23rd as well. Traditionally, the NBA has taken off Christmas Eve. I don't know if they'll be doing that this year. We really don't have any actual details about the schedule quite yet. But, of course, given the timeline, uh, we should get them soon. Uh, and then we'll have a, a massive Christmas Day slate. Um, usually that's five games. I, I would imagine the NBA will keep with that this year. Uh, I don't, I, you know, usually they probably don't want a game going up against another game. But it wouldn't shock me. You know, if maybe they, they throw on, like, two bad games as just kind of, like, undercards for, for underserved fan bases on Christmas Day to to really yeah. blow this out as much as they can. Yeah, I could see like a, you know, Knicks versus, I don't even know who else, like Knicks versus Timberwolves kind of a game. Like, I, I don't yeah. even know. Um, But yeah, I think, I think both of us, I mean, initially, initially, I think both of us thought the season would be closer to like February, right? And then it very much seemed like the league was going to push so hard that it would start in the 22nd which see, mm-hmm. again seemed really shocking to me but it, it it's happening um and you know i think this is again i've said this so many times on so many different podcasts there is no fair solution for anybody regardless of the start date right like it yep. wouldn't be fair to the teams that stopped playing uh in march to start again in march which would be like the longest one of the longest off seasons you know mm-hmm. ever without like a tradi- without like a lockout um so it is going to be tough for like the Lakers, the Heat, teams like that. But um, again, there's it's just like there's no good solution and they do want to make up as much money as possible. So maybe we should have seen this coming. Yeah, I think in retrospect, um, the NBA wanting to move the date up makes sense. And th- there's also the wrench of uh, the Olympics you know, being postponed yeah, this too. past summer. Like, that's the other, like, of course, the Olympics um, are, are a factor in this. Like, I, I don't know that this happens um, on this same schedule without the Olympics, because I, I think, obviously, the NBA, no matter if you're sending LeBron and Chris Ball and Carmelo and, you know, the old guard, or whether you're sending, you know, the crew that, that got destroyed in FIBA a couple summers ago, um, that's still a big deal for the NBA. And, you know, the NBA owns a lot of those properties overseas in terms of, um, you know, NBA Africa and basketball without borders and things like that. And the Olympics, I think, is such a huge showcase for those type of things that, you know, maybe it doesn't affect the actual NBA season all that much. But for the league as a business, the Olympics is a big deal. So so that's something to consider. I think what I didn't understand is 
and we'll see if these numbers prove to be correct, just how much money was at stake with Christmas Day and and this early start on the 22nd, right? I mean, a, a difference of 500 million to a billion dollars just for essentially those two days. It doesn't even seem like, you know, the extra two weeks between then or, or three weeks, I guess, between then and like Martin Luther King Day was the issue. It was, we have to play on these two dates because that's when we're going to make all this money. And that was really what was surprising to me. Like, I didn't realize, like, like we all knew Christmas was a big NBA day, right? Like, that's, they own that day. But um, I think w- what probably happened was they showed probably the players the numbers and were like, look, <laughs> like, yeah. it's, these two days are, like, really, it's just, the, the numbers are too staggering mm-hmm. to, like, try anything else but this. And I think... You know, maybe they'll be more lenient with like load management days mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like I can see that, you know, them coming to the players and being like, listen, just be ready for this day. Be ready for this like early stretch. And then we'll be a little more lax with load management and stuff like that later on um, as kind of sort of a mm-hmm. not under the table exchange, but something that was probably probably just makes sense for everybody. Well, with the Christmas Day thing. I, I'm just shocked that it generates that much revenue. You know, and it, it seems like they were under a lot of pressure from ESPN and ABC, who, who typically air those games. I think TNT might get one or two as well. To to have this, it gets a big deal for you and I. You know, both from from the perspective that it's our job, and it's you know, it's kind of we haven't really had a, a normal Christmas because of this in a while. For NBA fans, it's a big deal, but. I don't know, man. Like, I've, I have friends who are really into the NBA, and I know for a fact they don't watch any games on Christmas because they're with their family, they're at their girlfriend's parents' house, and they're not going <laughs> to demand to put the game on like I would. You know, like, it, it's just shocking to me that it generates that much money because there are big games for NBA fans, but how many people are derailing, you know, their their Christmas to make sure that they tune in to, you know, Rocket Sixers at 3.30 in the afternoon on Christmas Day? Like, I'm just really shocked that the numbers are that staggering. I am too. Um, you know, maybe it's just something that people like just kind of instinctively put on in the background. I mean, yeah, you know, you don't, <laughs> the ratings don't go up or down based on whether people are actually watching it. Right. It's just whether it's on your television True. or whether you're streaming it, I guess. Um, so maybe it's that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. Just, I, I, I didn't really, I can't really imagine how it's like those numbers are that big. Like I don't understand it. Um, I someone would have to like sit down and show me, but, um, yeah, again, like, I think you're completely right. Like my, you know, I watch with my dad, but not every game, like we have to open presents. We talk with the family, stuff like that. Um, right. we eat. So I, I, it's crazy. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by bet MGM. The long wait is over. Football is back and new customers at bet MGM sports can kick off the season with a 100% deposit match up to $500. Simply sign up and make a deposit with the bonus code ROTOWIRE, that's R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E, ROTOWIRE, to take advantage of this offer. There's never been a better time to get in on the action at BetMGM with parlay bonus payouts, live betting, daily boosted odds specials, and much more. Don't let one minute of the NFL season pass you by. Download the BetMGM app today, or go to betmgm.com and use promo code ROTOWIRE to double your betting bankroll with a 100% deposit match up to $500. You must be 21 or older and physically located in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, or West Virginia. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 
1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia, or 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in the state of Nevada. So, so one of the bigger kind of sub-items in the Woj report uh, on, on the vote and, and the agreement that the two sides came to is essentially a prorated luxury tax. And this is, you know, getting into some nuts and bolts stuff that, that you and I, you know, are, are far from, from experts on. But essentially, whatever the decrease in basketball-related uh, revenue um, or basketball-related income, I think they call it BRI, is over this next season will then affect the luxury tax. So um, essentially with the cap, the cap is going to stay at the same figure that it was last season. You know, teams have been planning, you know, typically will plan two, three, four years out um, and looking at what their cap sheet might be. And, and obviously teams were planning on the usual cap increase this year. With that not happening, there are going to be more teams that are likely to be in the luxury tax as a result. Um, so instead of the league just saying tough luck, you know, we're going to, we're going to punish you appropriately. Um, they're going to basically decrease whatever the team's final luxury tax bill is, um, by the same percentage figure of, of the loss of basketball related income. So if BRI is down 20% at the end of the year, then you, you shave 20% off your luxury tax bill. So it's a pretty big concession, um, for, or a big gain, I should say, I guess, for teams that are already up against the tax. You know, think, think a team like Golden State, uh, a team like Milwaukee that that might dip into the tax. Um, and it just makes it a little bit easier of a pill to swallow for some of those ownership groups. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense because there was some initial worry right when the pandemic hit and it, nobody knew it was going to happen that the luxury tax, like so many, so many teams would be in the luxury tax. And there are obviously, like you alluded to, some ownership groups that, are willing to pay the luxury tax and some that aren't and that mm-hmm. these teams that the these ownership groups that would not there would be more teams in the luxury tax than expected and that those that might trigger a lot of just like very like a weird free agent market where nobody not a lot of guys get signed or a weird trade market where guys mm-hmm. are just kind of getting pawned off to other teams just so the ownership group doesn't have to pay the luxury tax which happens sometimes anyway but just to like just to a point where it was just not going to be good for the league um, to focus on like money like that, you know, yeah. for like a lot of trades happening and, and stuff like that. Like everyone in ESPN going, well, it's just because the guy doesn't want to pay the money, <laughs> like a yeah. luxury tax. Like this is just, I don't think the league wants that. So mm-hmm. this move makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The alternative always seemed pretty unlikely to me. Like the the league was going to be in a spot where they had to do something, you know, like if, if they dropped the salary cap based on the losses this past year, all of a sudden the entire league is, is over the cap. And, you know, you, you would have, you would have like essentially veteran players having no choice, but to sign for the minimum because that's what the CBA would allow for. Right. Right. Yeah. So that, yeah, that always seemed like a long shot, but um, this does seem like a fair deal for all sides. And, you know, we've heard from a few players, namely LeBron James, uh, over the last few weeks who've been opposed to this, but it it does certainly seem like in the last few weeks, most players have come around to it, you know, factoring in the financial implications. And then, like you said, you know, there's this talk of like, well, the season just ended and this will be the shortest off season in American pro sports history. It'll be 71 days uh, from game six of the finals in, until December 22nd. But, you know, that really only affects two teams and there are two prominent teams with some prominent players, but, you know, the league, I think does owe, Oh, it to, to some of these teams that have been off since March 
um, you know, who, who weren't able to go to the bubble, you know, that concession that those teams made, you know, maybe they they benefit a little bit more from this. Um, and I wanted to ask you more broadly, given the circumstances, 72 game season, we, we don't know exactly how it's going to break down travel wise, but inherently there are going to be a lot more back to backs. There's going to be a lot more three games and five nights. Um, but at the same time, the NBA is going to make more of an effort than ever to curb travel. You might have, you know, two games and three nights against the Lakers and the Clippers. If you're in L.A., um, you might go Denver, Utah, L.A., you know, the, up to Portland, that type of thing, instead of going Denver one night, Philly the next night. Um, so, so there will be some travel concessions made by the league as well. But, you know, Baxter Holmes had a piece on ESPN today, and I, I thought one thing that was interesting, he had a couple league sources quoted as saying that these teams that are that have been off since March almost might be at a disadvantage. And the NBA starting December 22nd versus January 15th doesn't affect this disadvantage. But, you know, in theory, those guys are, are so well rested, they'll be ready to go. But, um, you know, the league source had indicated like there's a lot of worry that there might be more injuries on those teams because those guys, you know, you can't replicate an NBA game environment. And they have they've been out of it for so long that even though some teams played two months ago, uh, they might just be, you know, kind of might feel like more of a continuation for them as opposed to a complete restart for some of these teams that have been down since March. Right. Cause that kind of happened in the NFL, right. With no like real training camp where there's yeah. a lot of injuries right at the start, there's no training camp, no real preseason or anything like that. So I can understand the worry that the same thing will happen in the NBA where guys who have been offered this long, will just, they'll just get hurt. Um, and yeah, so I don't know if it, you know, I think it is kind of, I mean, I think it is a disadvantage for like the Heat and the Lakers for sure. And maybe even the, the you know, teams are in the conference finals, but I don't know. I think in general, it helps younger teams, right? Probably um, yeah. where teams like the Hawks, uh, for example, uh, maybe even teams like New Orleans, teams like Chicago, Memphis, maybe to some extent, um, just teams that like aren't as, as veteran heavy. I think this. If, if the schedule really is squeezed in this way, and I think it'll just it'll, it'll help the younger teams enough to really make a difference. You know, is it going to be like a five game swing? You know, would the Hawks have won 40 games before? But now because it's, you know, the now it's a shorter offseason and they're younger, they're going to win 45. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But that's just kind of like my gut feeling. Yeah, I'm with you on that in general. I think over the course of 72 games, there may be a, a benefit to some of those younger teams. I, I think on a larger scale, like maybe the benefit is that those teams are at less of a risk for soft tissue injuries. You know, if you have a roster of 21 to 25 year olds, yep. in theory, those guys should should pull their hamstring or tear their quad, uh, you know, at, at a lesser rate than the team that has a few 35, 36 year old guys who it might be banking on for heavy minutes. So yeah, it's going to be interesting because there's there's going to be just like any NBA season, there's going to be a, a major injury probably one month into the year, and it's going to be interesting I think to see how much you know that's blamed on this restart because the NBA has kind of gone back and forth. You know, it was such a, a point of emphasis a couple of years ago to to get rid of this kind of scheduling, and now the NBA has no choice but to revert back to an even more extreme version of the old schedule. So, uh, you know, how much do you think we're going to see? players like LeBron James resting, you know, like what, what would be your over under you would set for how many games LeBron plays out of 72? Um, I mean, I, I generally pencil in like everybody for like five missed games. So maybe mm-hmm. like five more. So like, I think 62 for most guys should be expected, right? Like most, 
MVP level, you know, best guy in a team. I can yeah. see like LeBron, Giannis, even someone like Siakam, maybe Jimmy Butler. I can see those guys playing like 62, um, mm-hmm. even if they were almost fully healthy. And, um, you know, a lot of times it, it and maybe that will happen late in the year. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, we don't even really know how the playoffs are going to work. Right. Because if we don't get home court advantage again, then mm-hmm. it won't matter as much the seating, right? Like it kind of yeah. matters from a matchup perspective, but if you're again, not going to get home court advantage, like you did it last year, then it doesn't matter right. as much exactly where you seed. So maybe that plays into it a little bit. And I haven't heard, I don't think anybody knows yet how that's going to play out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, at, at least there won't be a bubble. So there, there will at least be the travel advantage. You know, there's not the crowd noise uh, advantage necessarily. And, uh, you know, crossing our fingers, hopefully by, uh, you know, June, July, there, there are at least some arenas that can have a decent amount of fans. But um, I, I think the travel will be big. I, I do think, and you hinted at this earlier, I think it's going to be easier than ever by far to justify guys missing games. Right. I mean, I don't like the league is in such a bad spot to try to find a team. One hundred thousand dollars, you know, Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid on a on a Thursday night TNT game. Um, I, I think that's kind of one one concession that the league is probably whether they've said it explicitly or not going to have to make. And, you know, you mentioned that with LeBron, you know, factoring in probably a, a baseline of like five missed games for everybody. As I'm working through our projections on the site, there are very few players that I've put at 69 or 70 games, you know, and, and usually we want to be more optimistic, you know, like we're not going to, we're not going to go into a season projecting Blake Griffin to play 25 games, even though there's a decent chance that happens. We're not going to project Kyrie Irving for 38 games or whatever it might be. We cut, we usually tend to give guys the benefit of the doubt because it skews the rankings. If we don't, I don't, I don't know what to do with some of these guys. Like, I mean, Giannis missed 10 games two years ago in a normal season when they were pushing for the one seed, you know, like, when you start looking at it like that, I mean, are we going to have like it wouldn't shock me if LeBron sat out 20 games. Right. I mean, as, as long as they're in position to get to the playoffs, I, I think we're going to see more emphasis than ever, especially from veteran players on just making the playoffs and, you know, not pushing for the one seed, not not caring where you are, but, you know, trying to trying to load manage as much as possible, because I, I don't think the league is going to be able to intervene in the ways that it that it's been able to in the last couple of years. Yeah, and I think it's possible maybe we see teams give up on games earlier. Yes. Like, you know, sometimes like a guy will play, you know, someone will play like 37 minutes as like the coach for some reason, like desperately tries to claw back in a game. They're down by like 16. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we'll see guys pull the plug earlier and a guy, you know, someone like LeBron will only play like 28 minutes on a night where it seems like the team doesn't have it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I think I think the NBA will probably still be pretty strict about national TV games. Like if you're on ESPN, do not sit your players and they'll probably still try to make sure teams are not sitting guys during home games. Those are the two things I think the league hates the most. Yeah. So I think they'll stress like, listen, you know, I know you guys want to rest, but it's not that big of a deal if you do it on non-national TV away games. If you want to rest Joel Embiid mm-hmm. in Charlotte, we do not care. Um, and I, I think that will be the main thing. So there, are there any other teams besides the Lakers who you could say, you know, that this whole setup, you know, clearly hurts them? Because I, I think the Lakers, based on the fact that they were just playing a month ago and also based on the fact that their best player is you know going to be 36 years old? Um, those those are two pretty big factors. Are there any other teams that you that you would have some concerns about? You know, when you start to talk about guys who 
either are getting up there in age or guys who have historically missed games during normal seasons, you know, that, that becomes maybe more of a concern. Um, I mean, the Clippers, yeah. Kawhi Leonard, um, how many games is he going to sit out? Paul George has kind of been dealing with injuries lately. He had the double shoulder surgery before the start of the, uh, this past season. And he, mm-hmm. I think he pulled his hamstring and missed like 10 games. Yeah, he was, like he was really in and out. I mean, he averaged less than 30 minutes a game during the regular season. He was really never healthy for long stretches. Yeah, some of those nights it was like 25, 26 minutes. I'm like, what's yeah. going on? Is he healthy? Um, you know, I think Miami it has to be concerned at least about Jimmy Butler just because he's someone who – even this year, like, yeah, a great year, but he still missed time, um, played 58 regular season games. Um, and as someone who historically has m- missed a lot of time, like, mm-hmm. you know, last season, 65, although he, I think a lot of that, that sitting out was the Minnesota thing, but then it's like 59, 76, 67, 65. So like guys like that, you know, there aren't too many other than the Lakers. There aren't too many like real veteran teams. I'm worried about maybe Westbrook still, I think some of his injury concerns are starting to creep up yeah. for me, but um, not too many teams that I'm really looking at as like a whole and being like, I'm specifically worried about them again, other than like the Lakers with LeBron. Yeah. My final point on this is I, I think you, you almost have to be more concerned about guys. Like you, you mentioned Kawhi and like Westbrook's another good example of, you know, I, I wouldn't be worried about Westbrook like needing to sit out games necessarily for rest. But if you, tweak an ankle and miss three weeks you know if it last season for example if you did that at the right time you could maybe only miss like five or six games you know now the schedule is going to be so packed that if you miss right. three weeks that that's like 12 games at least uh yeah yeah that's going to be a that's going to be a problem um and i mean especially i mean from what it looks like right now both conferences should be pretty competitive right like the east it's a, yeah. definitely a battle for like there's going to, again, be a bad team in the eighth seed. Um, but that will be a, a decent battle. And in the West, yeah, I mean, that could be that could completely kill you because the West is, right. I mean, it's extremely competitive and any missed games are going to really kill a team. I think the other point, too, is th- this is already, uh, I wouldn't say a bad rookie class, but a rookie class that has an extreme amount of uncertainty, especially at the top. You know, you don't, you don't necessarily have any guys. You can just say, all right, we'll pencil this guy in for 15 and 10 from night one and never look back. These rookies, they have had a longer draft process, but it's been a weird draft process. You know, some of them have barely been able to meet with teams in person. Workouts have been, you know, kind of a disaster getting those going and, and, you know, trying to make it as normal as possible. And now you're you're drafted next Wednesday. Training camp is going to open. It sounds like December 1st. I mean, these rookies are going to have essentially three weeks to be exposed to NBA basketball. No summer league, of course. Uh, you know, and you would imagine the first couple of the first week, at least of training camp, you know, you're, you're installing plays, you're getting to know guys, you're conditioning like these rookies are going to come in extremely cold to to a degree that we haven't really seen. Yeah, that's going to be I feel like I mean, this is a rookie class that already people are not excited about. Um, you know, there's kind of the clear top three with uh, Ball, Wiseman and, and Edwards, but like. Other than that, people aren't that excited for it. And again, yeah, with the short ramp up time, I think summer league is really valuable for a lot of those guys and training camp really valuable for a lot of those guys. There are, I think there are very few players who come in as rookies that just have it right away. Um, like Doncic, 
was a mm-hmm. complete freak that he was able to do what he did as a rookie. Right. Carter um, Williams, complete freak. <laughs> even someone like Trey Young. Trey Young had was awful for the first two months of the, his rookie terrible. season. And right? he was terrible like, in summer league. Yeah, really bad. But then he kind of crossed over. Like he needed basically three months um, to turn into a player that he resembles now. Um, so for these guys, like they may not, a lot of these guys might not hit their groove until like what, February. And even then they're not used to the NBA schedule either. Um, which is always a problem for, for college players too. Yeah. And I mean, most of these guys, all of them, I guess, didn't play in the NCAA tournament. You know, they haven't, a lot of these guys haven't really played since like last February. So it's going to be interesting. I also wonder how this maybe affects how we look at um, NBA title odds, MVP odds to a lesser degree. Um, you know, like let's let's actually start with MVP. So I have it up now. LeBron, or excuse me, Giannis and and Luka Doncic are the co-favorites. These numbers haven't really changed much since we initially addressed them about a month ago. They're both at six to one. You have Davis and LeBron at seven to one, Curry at ten to one, Kawhi at twelve to one, Durant sixteen, Jimmy Butler twenty. I would I would be willing to cross LeBron out right now, right? I mean, seven to one for a guy sure, who yeah. we're expecting to miss a ton of time. I mean, as much as LeBron, especially these last couple of years, has really wanted to win the MVP, I, guess, I think with him, we'll know within like five games. He's either going to make a point to play every game or he's going to go the complete opposite direction and rest like crazy and, and be ready for the playoffs. I would bet on the latter. So LeBron at seven to one to me is, is kind of a sucker bet at this point. I 100% agree. Um, and I can even see Giannis doing the same, especially if the Bucks get out yeah. like to the lead that they did. If they again are going to play a 70 win pace, um, Doncic at six to one, really appealing team that's pretty desperate yes. to make the playoffs. He's extremely young. We're not even sure whether Porzingis will be ready or not for the start of the season because he tore his meniscus, um, and so he could put up insane numbers really early that kind of buoy him. When Porzingis comes back um, again, they can make the playoffs. That would that adds to his narrative. Um, the problem is there's they would probably have to make the playoffs for him to win it. Yeah, but um, there's a pretty strong chance that happens. Um, other than that, again, I don't really like Curry for the same reasons you outlined as LeBron. I think Curry's 32 or 33 now. 32, right? Um, I'll have to so, get a verification on that. But yes, I believe that's right. Uh, Durant would be interesting, but again, coming off the Achilles. He's 1,600. Jimmy Butler, we mentioned that earlier. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this could be a year where I think I'd bet on, you know, Doncic. Like, that's my gut feeling. And then maybe you look farther down the line, um, someone like Jokic or maybe someone like Lillard, who we know can just play 40 minutes a night and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, Lillard has proven that he can just – he he <clears throat> is uh, like a an Iron Man, basically. And even Tate right. is kind of interesting. Yeah, I think it's going to be – if you're betting MVP, you want to bet it as a marathon. Like, who do you think is going to play the the most games? It might not even be the best player this year, because I think I think right. you know Curry's probably going to have crazy numbers. LeBron's numbers will be great again. Giannis's numbers will be great. Durant's will be great. But if those guys all miss ten plus games, and Damian Lillard plays seventy one out of seventy two games, I, I think that'll maybe be the tipping point. Um, like you said, I, I think Tatum, you know, younger players like that uh, are, are where I would probably allocate my money. Giannis is interesting. I mean, he has a chance to become the th- first three-time MVP right. since Larry Bird in the 80s. That's a motivating factor, but at the same time, I feel like winning is going to take precedent this year. I mean, he won it last year basically playing 30 minutes a game. So if they can do, if they can have a similar regular season, and once again, he puts up 
you know, crazy efficient numbers. You know, maybe he has he, he's at this point probably going to have to start competing against his own numbers for the MVP, as as most guys who've won it multiple times do. But yeah, I, I think he's still rightfully the co-favorite at six to one. I mean, it, it's it's hard for me to say um, that he shouldn't be. What do you think about Davis at seven to one? If we're assuming that LeBron is either, you know, missing more games than normal or when he's out there is maybe being even more passive, you know, and is, is averaging something like instead of 27 and 10, you know, he's averaging 22 and 12. And some of those assists are going to Davis, who, you know, really takes over as the number one guy. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Um, you know, LeBron, I mean, LeBron, again, is a guy who he like he talks kind of every year like he's going to like not dominate the ball as much and he's going to trust his teammates more and then inevitably he has the ball every possession but this season seemed like he he was kind of allowing davis to work and like you alluded to maybe lebron doesn't really take you know, doesn't take rest days as much as he just kind of floats a little more and feeds davis and i could see that because i think if you if lebron kind of made it a point to feed davis and the team started going around that ad can put up pretty similar numbers to Giannis. Um, yeah. especially if he, if, if Davis plays 35 minutes, um, cause we saw what we saw out of him this year was crazy, especially in the playoffs, um, was unguardable. A lot of times, even with the bad mid range shots he takes, he's practically unguardable in a lot of these games. So, um, I could, there's, there's a very much a narrative that mm-hmm. could drive Davis to an MVP. I, I really think I can't give a great reason for this, but I, I, I think I would put money on Durant. Right now, I, I'm just so sure, again, for no reason other than the fact that everyone says he's healthy and he looks great. I think he's going to be really good. And I, I don't think he's going to miss that much time. I, I don't, you know, maybe you're holding him out of back to backs at the beginning of the year, but he's had so much time off. It'll be, you know, I think 19 or 20 months since he last played by the time the season starts. I, I don't know at that point that there's this major justification in, in you know, holding him out of, of 20 games. You know, I think if, if he's healthy, he's healthy. And I think he's going to have probably the, the strongest narrative of anybody. Like if he comes back and has another vintage Kevin Durant season off the Achilles and the Nets are the two or the three seed in the East, I, I think even if he ends up missing, you know, the 10 or 12 games that most of these other guys might, I, I think it'll be offset by that narrative. Well, I mean, we, yeah, we've talked about before the Nets on paper are like really good. Um, and could get better. They could get better and they could easily be the number two seed. It wouldn't surprise me if they ended up with the best record in the East. And Kyrie Irving, Durant's co-star, basically, is one of the most injury-prone, like, all-star caliber players in the league, right? Yeah. So if Kyrie misses 20 to 25 games and Durant plays most of them and picks up a slack in a lot of those games, Karis LeVert also gets hurt all the time. There could be a lot of nights where Durant is not by himself, but, like, is carrying a pretty big load. And so, like, yeah, he could he could have another one of those seasons, and especially— I'm interested to see, I mean, hiring Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni as an assistant pretty much implies they're going to just get up and down the court. So he might be playing, they might be playing at the fastest pace in the league. He could, I mean, you know, the numbers he could put up just from a stat sheet standpoint from if they really run like that um, could be, he could put up huge numbers. So what do you think about uh, championship odds, which I I believe, I, I don't know where they were. Uh, here we go. So they, the Lakers initially opened as plus 400, uh, plus 375 in some places uh, to win the title in 2021. At the DK Sportsbook, they're now down to plus 350 uh, with, the, with the Clippers at plus 550, the Bucks at plus 600, the Nets at eight to one, the Warriors at eight to one and the Celtics at 12 to one. In your eyes, has there been 
justification, whether it's uh, how the season is shaking out or how free agency might shake out for the Lakers to become more of a favorite now than they were a month ago? Because I, I feel like if anything, it, these changes to the season would maybe make me feel the other way. Um, I think it was just that the number was too high. I think it was just that people saw the four to one and they're like, this is, they just won the title. They looked really yeah. good. I feel like they just probably felt the number was bad. I think it's more to more of that compared to how the season is shaking out now. And, um, I, I think, you know, a lot of people probably feel like, yeah, if LeBron takes some time off and they don't get the one seed, not a big deal. Um, doesn't really matter who they play in the playoffs because it's LeBron, uh, and people are just going to keep betting on him until he doesn't make the NBA Finals, which seems like it may never happen. I know we just got done gushing about Davis, but how much time can LeBron conceivably miss? Like the way he's talking, he's not playing until like March. And, <laughs> you know, obviously I think the NBA is going to like, you know, if they have to like, you know, wrangle him and make sure he's out there on Christmas Day. But I mean, the way he's talking, he, it sounds like he's not planning on being in full gear, you know, until just before the playoffs. Like, the Lakers roster is not good outside of LeBron and Davis. And, you know, the, the, the on-off splits were pretty ugly last year when it was just Davis. I, I don't know that this team is able to cruise in a really tough Western Conference. Like, you take LeBron off this roster, and even if Davis has given you 40 minutes, like, the Lakers minus LeBron versus the jazz or the blazers or the Suns or the Pelicans at full strength. I don't know. Like that, that's like a 50, 50 game at best to me. Right. Yeah. LeBron. I mean, maybe it's just that he won't play until March. It's just that he'll play in sweatpants and AirPods until like February or March. <laughs> I, I once uh, tweeted that I thought Kelly Oubre would be the first player ever to play in AirPods. <laughs> LeBron is up there. I thought, although I think it would be beats for him. Oh yeah. I forgot about the beats. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with you, though. Like, uh, it's way easier to stop. I mean, they, they weren't that good with just Davis on the court, right? Um, oh. And understandably, because, again, that roster without LeBron on the court when AD is out there is just as bad as any of the Pelicans teams he was on, right? Worse. So, And those teams were awful uh, for a lot of years. So um, that could that could hurt them for sure. Yeah, it's worrisome. And I think you're right. I, I think maybe instead of LeBron taking, you know, two weeks off, he plays 27 minutes per game yep. instead of playing 37. And, you know, they, they hold him to that more strictly than than his teams and coaches have in the past. Um, I, I'm springing you on or springing this on you without much preparation. So I, I apologize if you don't have an answer ready. But what are your dream matchups for either opening night or Christmas Day? Um. I, I still think L.A. versus L.A. is good. Like, yeah. I would still want I mean, that. That's, a, that's um, a given. That's happening one of those nights. Uh, I would like to see Brooklyn against Milwaukee. I think that would be really fun uh, for, I mean, just obvious reasons. Like, I think that'll just be, like, the battle for the top of the East. Durant against Giannis. Like, Durant hasn't it, – it's been a while. It, it's just been so long since we've seen Durant – It'd be cool to see him go up against like this this elevated version of Giannis again in like this kind of yeah. context. Because um, yeah, we've we've really only seen Warriors Durant against the real Giannis. You know, like exactly. when, when they overlapped when, when Durant was in OKC, Giannis was not Giannis. And that again, that was different conferences. There was right. not much on the line. It didn't feel you know these teams might not mean the playoffs. Um, I guess another one. I I kind of want to see Philly versus Houston. 
just for like all the crossover, Daryl Morey, yeah. the play style, like that whole thing. Um, Dallas yeah, against be... Houston, I think would also be fun. Yep. How about you? Yeah, I mean the league, the league's in such a good spot that you could you could name like twenty teams that would not seem out of place playing in a huge featured game like that. Like I don't know, right. like I would I would love to watch like Phoenix Miami. I mean that's not going to happen, but that wouldn't be that out of place, especially since we've gotten some weird like they forced the Knicks usually to play on Christmas Day. That would be especially awful this year. Yeah. I, think, I mean I think, I think a think... Clippers Clippers Nuggets rematch would be fun. Yeah. I would. I think they'll try to put the Warriors in there, right, as like a oh, barometer yeah. game, like Warriors versus. I mean, Warriors Lakers would be fun too. Yeah, Warriors Lakers would be awesome. I think we get. I think we get Lakers Clippers opening night, and then we get Warriors Lakers on Christmas. That's my. That would oh, be my official prediction. That feels and right. Yeah. I think for I think Milwaukee for sure gets at least one big game in there, and I mean it, it's kind of going to be lame for Bucks fans, but. If it's if it's Bucks Nets and the Nets win that game by 15, this that's just like the the thing that sets off what's going to be a game to game. What is Giannis going to do? Type of storyline. Uh, yeah, it, it it will be because he the the buzz is already there, and if they you know if Milwaukee ends up falling to like the three or the four seed or something, and like there's there will be a lot of buzz. I mean, it sounds like they're trying to stay in the trade market, right? You know the Bucks, yeah. um, but I don't. They don't really have a lot of assets, do they? Like, no, they do not. They most certainly do not. It, it essentially hinges on finding one team that values Eric Bledsoe much more highly than they should, because that's uh, that's really the only thing. I mean, it, or or Lopez, and they're kind of like th- both of those players are more valuable to the Bucks specifically than any other team in the league, especially Lopez. Yeah, especially Lopez. I mean, Lopez kind of he can fit in a lot of different places as like, you know, a stretch five, but. Bledsoe, the Bucks have been wanting Bledsoe to be the fifth man, and he like can't do that. So if you're trading for Bledsoe, you kind of have to either be a a bad team hoping to like rehabilitate his value and then flip him again, yeah. um, which I again don't really buy as a thing, and uh, or a good team that's trading for him to be their sixth or their seventh man, right? And that's that also feels a little far fetched. Right, and if you're if you're the good team in that scenario, you're or, or the bad team, I guess you, you're getting you know, Bledsoe's value is as low as it's ever been, you know. So oh yeah, if yeah, you're his... if you're the Bucks, like you can't, you have no leverage, and you know I, I think the bad team scenario is more likely just because of the money. But I don't know, like what team could use an Eric Bledsoe? Detroit, um, <laughs> you know, the Knicks, uh, maybe the Bulls. You know, teams like that, they're either going to, in the Knicks case, trade for Chris Paul, or in the other two teams' cases probably draft a point guard. If you draft Killian Hayes or Tyrese Halliburton or whoever it is, you don't, the, the thing you don't do next is bring in a 31 year old veteran point guard who you're obligated to give 30 minutes to, you know, I, I think that would just be a redux of kind of what happened to Bledsoe before he got to Milwaukee, where he was just kind of this odd man out and was in a, in a tough role on a bad team. Like I, I think it'd be really hard to go from the best team in the league over the last two years to that type of scenario. And, and I, I think if you're the team bringing him in, that that knocks down his value a little bit. Um, is there any bad team, like any team other than Golden State that didn't make the playoffs that you think would have a shot to sneak into one of these featured games? Any bad team? Um, does Phoenix count? I mean, the Pelicans, right? Oh, yeah. Zion. Well, yeah. Minnesota, maybe. I Honestly, for me, this is going to sound crazy. I'm very excited to see what John Wall looks like. I don't know. I don't. That doesn't mean that I want to see, like, 
don't know, Wizards Mavericks at 7:30 primetime <laughs> Christmas Day. But I don't know. There's always that game that tips off at like 11 a.m. I'd take a little, you know, Wizards Sixers or Wizards Heat. That wouldn't be the worst. Yeah. Um. I think the team, and I always come back to it, uh, Atlanta. I could see like an Atlanta versus New Orleans as being like they know it's going to be exciting, right? Like you were talking about just pure entertainment. Yeah. That's going to be a, a game that's fast paced. Actually has stars in it, right? Zion. Right. Ingram, Drew Holiday still might be there. You got Trey Young, John Collins, Clint Capella now. Like the Hawks are gonna be interesting. So, I think if there was a, bit, a quote unquote bad matchup for Christmas, I think that would be it. What is your preference in terms of how the NBA schedules primetime games? It's it's overwhelmingly like the same eight to twelve teams over and over. Do you think that's the way to go, or would you, as a basketball fan, would you would you mind if uh, one of the TNT Thursday night doubleheaders was? Bulls Knicks followed by Pistons Timberwolves just to kind of get more exposure to some of these guys who if you're on if you're a good player on a a team like Minnesota you literally have like two primetime games all year if that uh I'd be okay with that but you have to make sure that there is a star and that the team is like fun to watch like Detroit uh, I mean yeah Blake Griffin's gonna be there so like if you can guarantee that Blake Griffin's gonna be healthy but you have to be you you gotta be scared a little bit to like schedule Detroit right for a game like that. And again, the Knicks, I don't really care about the Knicks. They're not good. They're not interesting. Like it it doesn't matter their market size for me. Um. So yeah, I mean, I think I I would be okay with like yeah, maybe I could see a little more deer and Fox. Um. You know, like Phoenix should probably get way more national TV games than they're going to get. Um. As long as these teams are like fun, that's what it feels yeah. like these games should be about just as much as you know, Milwaukee versus Lakers or stuff like that. All right. You mentioned Blake Griffin. I'm going to give you uh, the final 80 seconds of the podcast to tell me if the Golden State Warriors should trade Andrew Wiggins in number two to the Detroit Pistons for Blake Griffin in number seven. Uh, yeah, I think they should. Um, you know, I, I just don't have much again. Like, I don't know the draft as well as a lot of other people. Right. And I don't think they should draft LaMelo. Maybe they just draft Wiseman, but I think the jury's kind of still out on him. I think if you can get Blake, he's not the perfect five. I guess you have Kevon Looney there still. It would just make them so interesting. Like that roster, again, would be pretty stacked, right? I mean, Sam staying yeah. healthy is an issue. I think you have the higher floor with Wiggins just because he's not going to get hurt. And even though he sucks compared to Griffin, he's at least going to be out there and he's, he's fairly productive, you know, could give you 30 minutes, can defend a little bit with Blake. Obviously the ceiling is higher, but the floor is much lower. If he tears his quad 12 games in hit, I agree, he, but his play style now like really fits the Warriors. Yeah. Like he can handle, he's yeah. a great passer. Be, he it would be a lot of fun. He hits threes. Yeah. Yeah, I love that idea. If I'm the Warriors, I would do it. I would, I mean, I would survey the market, make sure I can't get Brad Beal, um, make sure there's no better deal out there. But if that's what it came to, I think I would be completely fine with that. 100%.